convey the heart of the gospel in just 10 words? Our guest can. Let's talk about it with J.D. Greer on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. And we're so glad you're here. You always have a seat at our table that you would take an hour out of a busy schedule and be with us is a high and holy compliment and uh, we see it as that if you're wondering i'm steve the aforementioned old white guy matthew porter is here he's our executive producer you just got back from a doctor's visit yeah, um, went well. Uh, I was going through the process with the nurse and the procedure and everything, and she said, that, now, now this next part, uh, you might feel a little pressure. I said, oh, okay. She goes, so what are you doing with your life? I mean, like, really? <laughs> You're closing in on 50. I'm like, ah, that's, that's a little more pressure than I thought. <laughs> All right. Our producer, Jinx, is in this little glass booth. He's always cool under pressure. Most of the time, yes. What are you going <laughs> to do for the know. rest of your life? I'm, I'm going to do this, Steve. I like doing that. <laughs> I'm going to play doctor. <laughs> <laughs> you don't see him, but you do see what he does. Our video director and one-man IT department, John Myers, is in his tech bunker. And finally, Kathy's not here. She's on vacation in Maine. Dr. George Bingham is here, however. He's the president of Key Life. George was gone yesterday because it was President's Day. No, I get it, yeah. <laughs> but also because... Uh, 41st anniversary. Outstanding. Uh-huh. 41 Congrats. years. Good job. Yeah, and they said it wouldn't last. Uh-uh. Oh, man. You know, nobody I know uh, or knew in those days did last. Yeah. And they thought we would be the first to die as a marriage. And we've been married a lot longer than you have because yeah. I'm a lot older uh, than <laughs> you. Why? Well, and one of the really good signs is we don't have to plan anything other than being together for the day. So, <laughs> I, know, I get it. Well played. <laughs> Which I really appreciate. Love it. <laughs> but wait, one second. Back to Kathy. Why would you go to Maine in the wintertime? She's crazy. I mean. She likes it. I would go in July when we don't want to bring <laughs> here. lobsters back or something. She well, could do that. Her mother, be nice to her. her mother is buried on a farm up there, and yeah. she goes through the snow out to the place. And it's kind of sad, but she absolutely loves Maine. If she has tried to talk me into moving this Key Life <laughs> Network to Maine for years, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> just want to. Hey, our guest is great. We've had him before. Uh, J.D. Greer. And uh, J.D., we were talking about what does J.D. stand for? Jesus do, Jinx said. (laughs) (laughs) Or Jesus disciple, you suggested. But it's something different, isn't it? Well, I feel like I should have some grand story about, you know, my parents being alcoholics when I was born and then named me Jack Daniels and then they changed yeah. it to Jesus. I mean, I feel like that's it's ripe for a great story, but it's James David. Uh, James is a family name and 
they liked David, but then they didn't want, they wanted to call me something different. So from the time I was born, I've been, my mom looked at me in the little crib as an infant and said, that's JD. So JD. it's stuck. <laughs> Shoot, that's more pedestrian than I thought I was going <laughs> to discover when I asked you that question. <laughs> By the way, JD Greer serves as pastor of Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina where my late uncle was a bank embezzler. I have a great, that's true, heritage. <laughs> and he's the founder of J.D. Greer Ministries. He also hosts Summit Life, a daily broadcast and weekly TV program, and the Ask Me Anything podcast. Do you mean that? Can they ask you, you anything did. they want to? <laughs> He's not committed to answering everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ask me anything. I'll answer you anything. I'm yeah. like, you can ask me anything. <laughs> you already used up your question. Listen, J- <laughs> J.D. has uh, written 10 books, and the latest, which I hold in my nicotine-stained fingers, is uh, titled Essential Christianity, The Heart of the Gospel in 10 words. You're kidding. Man. It's actually more than 10 total words. I mean, it seems like it should be shorter. Subject heading words. Uh, yeah. It seemed yeah. like a thicker book than that. <laughs> <laughs> than I you know, like we could just cover the whole thing in the first segment and be done with it, right? Um, Let's go to yeah, you know, it's Well, I was going to say, it's using the, the points of Paul's logic in the book of Romans and condensing them into 10 kind of categorical words and say, these are the movements of gospel logic that have appealed to people for 2000 years, whether they're, you know, in a dusty street in Jerusalem or whether they're in a corporate high rise and in Manhattan. Listen, you start. I loved what you said about it with the lady in California. I forget her name that if you, if you spend over a thousand dollars, you, And people say you can be with her for an hour. That's and right. That's not for sexual things. That's for <laughs> religious stuff. And she, yeah, it's, people pay. I think it's one thousand one hundred and eleven dollars an hour so that they can connect with Jesus, a Jesus who channels through this this very popular medium. And and it's it's kind of her 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 clientele or the or the who's who of Hollywood. You know, Uma Thurman and. Jennifer Aniston and and uh, and her Jesus will or Jesus she believes channels through her and speaks to people and uh, her, her Jesus has a British accent which I've always found curious <laughs> that, you know not I mean I guess even Jesus recognizes that when Americans hear a British accent they automatically add fifteen points to your IQ mm-hmm. um, so and if he you're if through, you're a pastor and have a British a- accent it's worth five thousand more a year that's <laughs> anyway yeah, go uh, ahead uh, here so unfortunately you get southern with me but. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, it's just, but it it speaks to like this hunger that people have to really connect with the divine, even in uber secular Hollywood. You know, when, when you started the book, we have a tendency, if you read much that we're has-beens, that it's over, that we need to have a funeral, uh, for the Christian faith. You don't see it that way, do you? No, I mean, some of it is experiential. I, I do pastor a church. God has graciously allowed me to be a part of a, a church that the majority are young professionals, college students, um, a lot of people that society would say, and some of those books say, are no longer are interested in the Christian faith. We, by God's grace, we see 
um, scores of them, hundreds, and I might even say thousands that um, repent and put faith in Christ. And so, I, yeah, some of it I've just seen. Some of it is just a, a, an awareness um, of the power of the gospel in my own heart. You know, when you experience the power of the gospel and you see it transform you, it's it's no longer a question of the 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 efficacy of the product. You're just like, and that's what Paul is just beaming with in Romans, uh, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the the dunamis. That's the Greek word where we get our word dynamite. It's the the it's the power of God unto salvation. And you think about like, yes, I, I realize we're intimidated when we see the secular world around us, but Paul had more reason to be intimidated because this is a little, you know, kind of backwoods, upstart. Uh, religion, you know, in everybody's mind, um, that's coming from a dusty corner in, in Palestine. And Paul is going to Rome, which is the unquestioned capital of the world, militarily, philosophically, economically. It's, it's the capital. And Paul says, I know that this gospel that transformed this guy is also going to be able to transform those who, who believe no matter where they're from. You know, I've always thought that sociology was the moral equivalent of uh, looking at the entrails of chickens to determine the future. <laughs> but uh, you make some rather um, corrective statements to the sociologists who have predicted we're going to see less religion. Yeah, forget sociologist. Even I mean, you know, uh, maybe you haven't read that many sociology books. Uh, <laughs> listeners thinking, but you, you probably heard the what John Lennon, lead singer of the Beatles, who he said this back in the '60s that you know within his lifetime he said um, that all forms of kind of organized religion would be would be dead. And it's true, Steve. I mean, let's let's be honest. Um, a lot of interest in certain types of organized religion is waning. There's a whole movement called deconstruction where people are questioning the motives of a lot of the, the institutions that have been built. And so I, I, I don't think it, it's wise or truthful to just, you know, dismiss all that as, as poppycock. But I do um, recognize that it's well documented that alongside um, this kind of uh, questioning of authority and questioning of those things. There's this increasing interest in spirituality and in truth and in, in God. That is at an all time high. And one of the guys I was I was I, I, I quote him in the book. He was writing for um, U.S. the USA Today um, newspaper, and he said all the predictions on this have 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 not come true because um, nobody told the millennials and the Gen Zers that they, they should, should not be looking for God. He said they are, 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 are more curious, they're, they're seeking more um, than maybe any other generation. And so that's why I wanted to be able to provide something that said, look, here's the oldest, most powerful book ever written on the gospel, the book that has been behind every great awakening in America. Um, it is the book that's been behind the reformations that have taken place in the church for 2,000 years. And say, what does it sound like to a 21st century American? And we're going to pursue that on the other side of the break. But first, this is really hard work. It looks like it's easy, but it's not. We're professionals, and we work hard at it. So we'll get some cookies and milk, rest up, and see you later. Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc., 
If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, we're so glad you're here. We're talking with one of our favorite people, J.D. Greer. And uh, he's an author, uh, theologian, etc. We call him His Eminence. Uh, His latest book is titled Essential Christianity, The Heart of the Gospel in Ten Words. And my initial reaction to him was, you're kidding. (laughs) (laughs) J.D., before the break, you you touched on something that was really encouraging. You know, this idea of, you know, people were supposed to have uh, grown past religion by now, and especially... The younger generation, and I just nobody happened to uh, to TikTok that to them or something because, you know, they didn't seem to get the message. And it made me immediately think of if anybody's watching the NFL playoffs and there's a player, Damar Hamlin, who got a, a horrific injury. Um, they carted him out in, in, in an ambulance. And then for the, 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 the ensuing two hours, everybody was talking about we need to pray for – for uh, Demar Hamlin, and all of a sudden, everybody's very cool with talking about praying, and you know, <laughs> and they nailed, you know, the staff and coaches and players were kneeling on the field. Yeah, it's it's very funny how it only takes a couple things to happen. All of a sudden, you're you're not necessarily out of the 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 believing in God game, um, and you speak in the in the book. You talk about the book is not just speaking to believers. It's also speaking to to unbelievers, and there's a message for each of them. I wonder if you could unpack that a little bit about what the book has to say to each of these different groups. Yeah, great question. Actually, I'd love to make a comment on the, th- the first thing you said um, before I answer that question, because yeah. um, you know, it reminded me of something C.S. Lewis used to always say about um, the growth of unbelief You know, in our scientific age. He said, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you tell your head, your heart still knows the truth about God. And he said, the way that you can see that is how you react in times of great joy or times of great sadness or fear. Um, and he, he used the example of, um, you know, if you're trying to see if you have rats in your cellar, um, if you, you know, make a lot of noise and go down and go down really slowly, by the time you get in the cellar, there'll be no no rats there. But if you but if you sneak down in there in the total darkness and then flip on a light, you'll see them everywhere. Yeah. You know, if you had rats in your cellar, he said, that's what belief in God is like, is he said, you know, uh, we, we posture ourselves so that we act like mm. I don't need this. But the moment life startles us with either great joy or great tragedy. 
all of a sudden out comes this thing that we've known all along. And that's kind of Paul's point in Romans is that is that I'm not trying to convince your head of something new. I'm trying to, to get you to acknowledge what you know to be true. And that is that there is a God of glory and power who has created you. Um, the question you asked specifically, um, how it's interesting because you would think that the gospel is what you would say mainly to an unbeliever. That's like the entry right into Christianity, the ABCs, the diving board off of which you jump into the, into the pool of Christianity. And, and it certainly is. But Paul writes the book of Romans, the, you know, the, the clearest explanation of the gospel anywhere. He writes it to Christians. You look at the first few verses of Romans, it's clear who his audience is. And when he says it, it's the power of God to salvation, he doesn't just mean to unbelievers. He also means the ongoing power in your life comes not from going beyond the gospel. Hmm. The ongoing power in the believer's life comes from going deeper into the gospel. Um, the, uh, Martin Luther, um, uh, reflecting on the book of Romans, he said it's the gospel is like a well. Uh, if you want to get the best water out of a well, you don't widen the circumference of the well. The best water will be found if you go deeper into the well. And so what Paul does is he takes you into the depths of just who God is, who you are without God, who you are in God um, after you, you've been reconciled to him. And the more that he opens your eyes to see the glories of, of who Jesus is, yeah, you suddenly become more on fire for him. It's I, I love the the phrase that the way um, the fire to do in the Christian life comes from being soaked in the fuel of what has been done. Um, what I find is mm-hmm. that when you really preach the gospel, um, I mean, just really unpack the beauty of it. Not only are unbelievers drawn to Christ, but believers are propelled to go farther and brighter for Christ. And and I think you get all that from the very first chapter of Romans. Mm-hmm. Well, let's. What is the gospel in one sentence or two? And then I know you wrote the book. You know, I got, I get that. But just so if some, if Joe Pagan or Jane Sinek is watching or listening, uh, they're, you know, they're confused with that word. So you can just say good news if you want to, if you want to expand on it, that'd be all right too. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's an excellent question. And that's one, Steve, I appreciate it because I feel like a lot of people assume it or they assume they know yeah. what it means and they never really get to it. Um, it does mean good news. I mean, that is the 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 old time. You know, if you go back to the original Greek, it wasn't even a religious word. Uh, Greek generals would use the word gospel to announce a victory and they would send out a, a gospel proclamation to the nation that says, you know, I have won a battle. That wasn't an invitation to, for you to come and fight for them. It was just an announcement that they had won a battle on your behalf and that you were now um, you were now at peace. You no longer had to live in fear. And so the, the, the gospel writers, the New Testament gospel writers, Jesus picked up on that word and said, that's essentially what God is doing for you is God has won a battle on your behalf. And he's not inviting you to come and wage the battle for him as if it's not already finished. He's inviting you to live in the new reality of what he has accomplished for you um, by dying for your sin on the cross and then by overcoming death, by rising again. There's a sentence I use as sort of a guide for the the, the book. It's in the first chapter. Um, it's, it just, it's just this, God in an act of grace sent his son Jesus to earth as a man that through his life, so that through his life, death and resurrection, he could rescue us, reign as king and lead us into the eternal full life that we were created to enjoy. Mm. That's the gospel. That's the, the in, in a sentence. And then Paul spends a book down to saying this is the, the beauty and the power of the whole Christian life. Oh, that works. I, in fact, 
I've been thinking about becoming a Christian. <laughs> you, uh, you almost did it, <laughs> <laughs> and we've been so hoping. You know, it would well, add a little a bit of, of credibility to, to to his preaching. Uh, JD, you talk about a situation, uh, you know, for people from the South in that. Uh, spiritual experience of visiting a Waffle House. Um, you kind of introduce with a story there uh, for the philosophically minded that might be tuning in. What what are those? I mean, Paul uh, covers the basic philosophical arguments for the existence of God and, and our uh, connection with him. Can you kind of review those? Yeah, that's great. It's It's basically whether you're sitting in a Waffle House and you never graduated high school, um, or you're sitting in the white house and you, you know, were there with, with a PhD from, from Harvard or Yale, um, your soul has the same basic questions and the same basic evidences. And one of those evidences is the fact that you see this incredible design in creation. The fact that you long for meaning, uh, the fact that, um, th- th- there's a sense of guilt. That's you know, the animal kingdom doesn't have that kind of sense of, of, of guilt about its actions. The fact that um, there is uh, the, the, the fact that there are things like love and a, and a desire for we, significance. I asked um, too big of a question. Those... Maybe we need to finish that on the other side. You Great. Think? Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> you had me at Waffle House. You can I'm so hungry. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> but if you're hungry for what JD's been talking about, you maybe ought to investigate it. You might be surprised at uh, the gospel. You might find that it resonates with you, not because it's cool, but because it's true. Don't go anywhere. From Key Life comes too many books. What do you do for a living? and Life After Retirement. What Do You Do for a Living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know, a gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life and how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What do you do for a living and life after retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement? These two Key Life mini-books are available through keylife.org for a donation of $6. you're with us and if you've been listening you are so glad you're with us we're hanging out with jd greer if you want to keep up with him you can go to jd greer and he spells his last name kind of weird it's (laughs) g-r-e-e-a-r i a liberal no. arts degree, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus A at no cost. <laughs> J.D. Greer, spelling it the way I just instructed you. That's right. Dot com. <laughs> and at Twitter, at J.D. Greer. 
This is Steve. I'm going to interrupt you. I'll tell you, this is more time we got for here. But one of my friends at Ancestry.com informed me that my original ancestor that came to America spelled it the normal way, E-E-R. One of my ancestors changed it in the mid-19th century for no reason to add the extra A. And the person at Ancestry said that's because they were trying to evade the law. Excellent. So that's what I've got in my past. you got your bank fraud person. I've got that. So they might have known each other. Great heritage, by the way, for a preacher. I I thought maybe they were trying to spell it phonetically for anticipating you moving to the South. Oh, yeah. You have to put an extra syllable in there. There we are. J.D., before the break, I, uh, you know, artfully left you about 45 seconds to go through the philosophical arguments that Paul includes in Romans uh, (laughs) to the unbeliever. Um, And you can start from the beginning, but uh, I think those more philosophically oriented would be interested in those. Yeah, I appreciate you re-asking that. Um, the, The basic idea is whether you're in the Waffle House or sitting in the White House, You've got the same basic questions that your heart asks and that are evidences. Don't think of these as like proofs, you know, where we're trying to really press somebody into a corner and force them to, you know, admit that there's no other logical answer. They're just, they're like echoes and hints. Um, They're very simple. Uh, uh, Philosophers have unhelpfully given them very complicated names, but I'm like, look, if you can memorize, you know, uh, 16 part, $8 $8 drinks at Starbucks and you can learn the names. <laughs> of um, the uh, cosmological argument is one of the ones that Paul says um, it alludes to in Romans one. And it's basically, why is there something rather than nothing? I mean, you know, nothing times nobody can't equal everything. Um, even if you, you uh, espouse the big bang at some point, you have to ask why and where did the original materials for the big bang come from? Why is there something rather than nothing? Then there's what philosophers call the teleological argument. And that's the evidence of design. Just, you know, when you look at things, you, you recognize whether whether you're looking in the, the, the man-made world or the natural world, you recognize when there's a design in something. And so the more you look through your telescope and your microscope, the more you see it just screams there's something intelligent behind this. Um, the third um, the one that Paul alludes to is, is what we call the moral fingerprint, which is um, the fact that there is a, a, a sense that pervades cultures and times of a right and a wrong, just the concept of right and wrong. That's mm. unique to humans. It's not present in the animal kingdom. Um, things that that we know instinctively because you know we are made in um, in God's image. The fourth one that Paul alludes to is the desire fingerprint um, and the, the echo of desire, which is I I, I know that I'm more than just an accident of biology. I know that there's something that I'm creative for that, that, that when I talk about love and consciousness, this is not just a big cosmic illusion. Um, and those are the things that, that God puts into creation. I love what one philosopher says is what we can't not know. Hmm. It's not something we have to learn. It's just, you know, it and you try, but what Paul says in Romans is that none of us are ignorant of the truth. What we do is we suppress the truth. And in ungodliness, we suppress the truth. Suppression of the truth is not the same thing as ignorance. Ignorance means you don't know it. Suppression means it's in there and you're trying to keep it down. So I'm not saying there there are no genuinely convinced atheists. There are. But ultimately, Paul says that's a heart problem of of a heart that is postured against God that chooses to believe what it wants to believe rather than what the evidence plainly says is true about creation. Mm. Mm, That is such good stuff. Would you repeat it? <laughs> <laughs> Did you, when you were working on this book, 
you know, if you're a preacher, you've taught Romans a lot. And um, uh, did you, but somebody has said preachers preach for themselves more than anybody else. As you worked on this book, uh, did you, did it have an existential side to it to you? Or was it just trying to figure out how to say something that you knew? Or did it get to you? Yeah, very astute question, Steve. That's um, you can tell you've probably done a lot of this yourself, you know, because it, it is true that it, the act of uh, of trying to communicate things takes it to a, a depth in you yeah. that is totally, you know, um, the best way to help somebody else grow in their relationship with Jesus, or best way you can grow in your own relationship with Jesus, is to help somebody else out with theirs. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, as I got into this, it was like, um, I mean, it was. It, it was an experience that you have with God that totally changes you. Um, this, it turned out not to be an academic thing. It turned out to be something for me that was, um, I, I don't know. It, I look back on this as, as almost a watershed moment in my life. There's a reason that every great awakening in America has come from study of the book of Romans. Yeah. And, uh, it was no, no, no exception for me. Oh, man. Huh. That is such good stuff. And J.J. has just said that very soon he'll be entirely sanctified and will no longer go on programs like this. (laughs) If you believe that, you'll believe anything. By the way, the book is Essential Christianity, The Heart of the Gospel in Ten Words. This is a book you need to read, maybe study in your small group at church, but it's a book where you need to get stacks of them and give them to every friend you've got, especially the ones who think you're a religious fanatic. And you'll rise up and call J.D. Greer blessed for that. I grew up in the mountains where there were lots of fireflies. I'd catch them and put them in a jar. The <laughs> problem was the next morning, they'd be dead. Jesus said to the religious people of his day that they would travel land and sea to get one convert, then make him worse than he was before. We do that sometimes. We, we put new Christians in a jar of rules and regulations and their light grows dimmer and dimmer. And then... They die. Christians, like fireflies, need to be free. Don't forget about God's unconditional love and forgiveness, and and your light will shine. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Hey, share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. Talking with J.D. Greer, uh, and uh, he's a wonderful author, a great preacher, and uh, he doesn't talk with an accent, which is refreshing, too. <laughs> you ought to get this book. It's Essential Christianity, the Heart of the Gospel in Ten Words. It'll bless you, but uh, you need to don't keep it in your library. Give it to somebody. 
Now, J.D.'s not happy with my saying that. He would rather you buy it as a gift because he needs the money. But uh, make sure that all your friends get a copy of this, too. J.D., I, you know, we've been talking for 45 some odd minutes about your book. And I gotta, I don't want the clock to run out before we get to the actual subtitle which is the heart of the gospel in 10 words. You have, you have put a big uh, premise forward on this. Wondered, will you tell us a little bit, what are the words? Uh, it's on the cover, so you're not giving anything away. Get, just <laughs> Yeah, and we're going to count, too. Yeah. So don't screw this <laughs> up. Oh, let's, that's a lot let, of pressure. let's pop the hood on this thing. <laughs> uh, I do want to say, Steve, I appreciate, uh, just to, to, to your comment, I, I want listeners to feel good if they do buy the book that I have agreed to dedicate all the proceeds to feed hungry children. Um, their names are Karis, Allie, Ryan, and Adam. Uh, they're in my home right now. And they need to go to college. The worthy cause. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, the question, I appreciate you asking that because the idea was um, that even though the book of Romans is a letter written to an actual group of people in the first century, that the fundamental questions of human nature, they don't really change. Um, Paul's logic in the book of Romans is meticulous. In fact, it's it's fascinating to me that for the first hundred or so years of Harvard Law School training, training lawyers, they would use the book of Romans as an example. Um, they would all study it to see how Paul anticipates objections and then either diffuses or answers the objection in it. And so these 10 words represent the high points of Paul's logic. And we say, look, this is the same logic you would need to uh, uh, use with a 21st century American when you're talking to them about the gospel. Um, I'll give you a quick little snapshot of them. Like you say, they're on the cover there. The first one is the word announcement. That's what Paul says. The gospel is fundamentally an announcement, not about what you need to go and do for God, but an announcement of what he's done for you. Um, the second is undeniable. We've also talked about um, that in this hour in our program here, that um, the truth about God is not that we're ignorant, ignorant of it. It's that we've always known it. And at some point, we acknowledge to ourselves that we've always known it. And the third word is refusal. That's the, the posture of the human heart toward the revelation and toward the beauty of God we see around us is we just... Um, we are not inclined to submit to God. We have a heart that is, it leans away from God. It's curved inward on itself and it, it, it denies the truths that are out there. Um, whether that's through false religion or whether it's through disobedience or whether it's through um, atheism. Um, the, the fourth uh, word or um, kind of word is religion with the word marked out because the, the number one way people respond to um, the awareness of God as they try to to earn their way into his presence, to be good enough to to earn his favor. And Paul spends two chapters just saying there's not a one of us, whether we believe the right things about God or not, there's not a one of us that can earn our way back into God's presence, which sets us up for the fifth word, which is rescue. Christianity is fundamentally a rescue religion. It's about God coming to do for you what you could not do for yourself. Um, the sixth word is faith. Um, Paul explains what is the faith that saves and how do you know that you have it? Maybe you're somebody that's like, I think I have faith. Do I have enough faith? Have I asked Jesus into my heart enough? You know, so Paul really explains, here's what it means. Here's, here's what saving faith is and how do you, how to know that you have it. Um, the, uh, the seventh word is, um, inclusion. Um, you know, people today, they're like, I don't want to believe something that's exclusive because that's, that makes me feel like, you know, I sound like I'm smarter than everybody. And what Paul explains in Romans is like, listen, all truth claims are exclusive. 
that the gospel is the most inclusive exclusivity there is, because it shows us that um, the reason God accepts us has nothing to do with with us or how smart we are, how good we are. It's a gift he offers to people everywhere. Um, The eighth word is struggle. And that's basically the question Paul answers of if Christianity is true, why does the Christian life feel so hard? Why is it so difficult? Even after knowing, you know, I've been a Christian now for several decades. Why is it still so hard for me? The ninth word is spirit. Paul says that the thing that that that, that you yearn for is a relationship with God and spirit. And he shows us in Romans eight um, what that what 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 true encounters with with the actual divine spirit is like, um, how to recognize it when it happens and then how to facilitate it happening in your life. And the 10th word is the word therefore. Paul um, hits Romans 12 and he says, in light of all these incredible things about God and the gospel, therefore, this is what your relationship should look like. This is how your self-image should look like. This is what your your, your goals in life, what um, uh, what you're going to pursue in life. Um, these are all the things that come out of the therefore of the gospel. And those are the those are the 10 words that Paul says. These are the things that shape ultimately um, not just your encounter with God, but how you think about yourself and how you you think about your future. And I think it has to be mentioned that on paper, this you're creating kind of a, a a modern interpretation, understanding of Romans, very theological, but it reads so it's 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 as enjoyable and breezy as this conversation. So like if anybody's like, well, I'm not a theology nerd, it's like no 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 no. If yeah, dumb dumb Matthew, yeah, if dumb dumb Matthew can can get into this thing, <laughs> it's very accessible, which is uh, no small achievement. I appreciate you saying that because I have, I've always wanted to be like um, Jonathan Edwards or Tim Keller from middle school students. (laughs) You know, those are great theologians like put it, put the cookies down there on the bottom shelf. (laughs) (laughs) That's all. Listen, we got one more minute, uh, JD. And we always ask our guests to be profound, to say something that will change the world. To uh, so, if you should die right after this broadcast, people would remember you for these words. Now, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but you got <laughs> a minute. Be a little pressure. You got <laughs> a minute. <laughs> I was nervous, Steve, coming onto this because I'm like, Steve's guests are normally like. I mean, they're all stars. And my wife said, don't try to be smart, witty, funny. Just be yourself. So, I don't know what that means, but. Um, <laughs> So, uh, you know, there's a phrase I actually use in the book, comes from a missionary named C.T. Studd. Uh, he was yeah. the probably greatest professional athlete of the end of the last century, like end of the 19th century. And um, C.T. Studd had this famous statement explaining why he left to go um, preach the gospel in obscurity in China and India, walking away from a lucrative sports career. And he said, uh, famous words, only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. My dad um, used to repeat that to me just ad nauseum when I was a kid. Son, there's only two things in life that last forever, the word of God and the souls of people. Make sure you build your life around both of those. Um, The gospel is the message that makes the difference in eternity for every person that's ever walked the face of the earth. There's nothing more important to focus your life on, to to give your life, to not just experience yourself, but to make sure everybody in your circle, everybody in your family, all your friends, everybody in our world has a chance to hear it and respond to it before they die. So you did it. (laughs) Yeah, we want to applaud. Hey, J.D., thanks for being with us. Hope we can do this again. You're a gift. Yeah, me too. 
Guys, yeah, I love it. Thank you for having me on. Guys, we're going to come back for a little bit after the break. And Kathy's not here. I trust that she told Matthew or somebody who's going to be our guest next week. Not me. Oh, well, (laughs) whoever it'll be, it'll be famous. Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, what a good hour. We like J.D. a lot because he's crazier than we are, and, uh, and it's a really good fit. And this is a really good book. You ought to get it. It's one of the best witnessing tools that I know about. You know, we sent out, and we're going to have him on pretty soon, his letter to the church, Eric Metaxas. But he has an inability to write a book under a 1,000 pages. <laughs> and so and we sent out to some of our people uh, the book on atheism. Is atheism right. dead or something like that? And I've had, and the responses I get is, you're kidding. I'm not going to do that. I mean, that's too much. I'm not dedicating my life to reading one stupid book. But uh, J.D. Greer gets it uh, in a wonderful and very thoughtful way that you'll like. He presents the gospel. And actually, that's what we're here for. We're here for them, not us. It's settled with us. The hard part for us is not to be arrogant or insufferable because we've learned, because we're king's kids, uh, because we're forgiven. We don't have to feel guilty anymore. We don't have anything to defend. We don't have to push anything anymore. It's a very freeing walk, and it's settled. I mean, we could go to heaven right now and it'd be all right, except for them. And them is a big deal. And that's why we're around. And one of the best ways you can do that is to keep it simple, to uh, to say, all right, you know, we have classes on evangelism, a week-long ca- class on how to share your faith. Man, it doesn't take a brain surgeon. You're really screwed up, and you need a Savior. And he'll be that if you go to him. That's it. The gospel. The gospel for them. All right. You checked and you now know. I do. 
Who's going to be on next week? Next week, we're going to speak with a best-selling author named Larry Loftus. He's kind of carved out, carved out this niche of doing historical books that particularly look at people involved with either like spies or some kind of subterfuge or that kind of uh, covert kind of story. And he's done a biography, a definitive biography on Corey Ten Boom. He says her own book only covers a tiny fraction of her life. His book takes a much bigger, more all-in view. So it should be a good good time. It'll be great. Mm. I met Corey Ten Boom. Had lunch with her just before she died. And I love this book. So you be here next week. Same time, same place. And between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. That gives you a wide, wide berth. Yeah. You know, we should try this on a regular basis. Yeah. In fact, if we all did it in unity. Wide, wide, wide. That looks like picking up a collection. It's easy. It feels (laughs) culty. I like it.